Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'm the rest of you. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And I do want to say again, thank you, church family. We've experienced so much love and blessing and encouragement and support over the past few weeks. And Dawn is doing much better, but um, it's, it's, it's just a blessing to be part of this church family that loves us so much. So thank you so much for your, your love for us. And most of all, it's your love for the Lord that shines through. So back in 2007 the director of the Avatar movies and the Titanic movie, James Cameron, he produced a documentary that tried to discredit the resurrection. I don't know if you remember it. It was called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. Now, this film basically has the premise that back in 1980, some archaeologists unearthed a 2,000-year-old cave that had 10 caskets. And these caskets were found in the suburbs of Jerusalem, and supposedly this was the family of Jesus. So you had Mary and Joseph, and you had Jesus, and then you also had Mary Magdalene's grave there. Now, this film promotes the heresy of the Da Vinci Code movies and books that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and had a baby. That's a heresy. But supposedly Jesus was buried next to his quote-unquote wife in this burial. Now, in the documentary, they also said that we have DNA evidence to show that this was Jesus' family and that Jesus did not literally rise from the grave, that there is his tomb there in the suburbs of Jerusalem. Mary, Joseph, Mary Magdalene, Jesus, the entire family. Now, this is what skeptics and atheists try to do to discredit the fact that Jesus literally rose from the dead. So last week, I kind of got excited at the end of the service. I left you hanging because I wanted to preach the resurrection. Well, here we are this morning. We're at the resurrection. But if you remember, last week, we left you hanging with Jesus being buried in a virgin tomb. Remember, it was a tomb in which no one had been laid It was a brand new tomb, and the women had gone to prepare spices to anoint Jesus' body, but because it was Sabbath, they had to stop. But now, Sabbath is over, and it is Sunday morning. You did not know we were going to celebrate Easter this morning, did you? He's risen, he's risen indeed. No, we're celebrating Easter this morning, a a few months early. So we're going to dive right into the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, that's the women, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you 
while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture from two vantage points, from two perspectives. First, let's just look at the historical reality of the empty tomb, the historical reality of the resurrection. And then secondly, let's experience a heartfelt response to the resurrection. So the first is the reality. The second half of the sermon is our response to that. So let's examine the historical reality of the resurrection. I want us to look at three important facts, three important details that we see from this passage of Scripture. And here's the first. Truth number one, the importance of the Lord's day. The Lord's day. Now, all four Gospels tell us that it was on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And Luke here says it was early dawn, like the sun had not even come up yet. Now, we also know that the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit showed up and birthed the church, if you will, that was also on a Sunday. The early church began to switch their worship from Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, to the first day of the week, Sunday, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave on Sunday. So we have evidence of this from the Bible in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when they were gathered together to break bread, when they were gathered together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and worship on the first day of the week, Paul talked with them, he gave a sermon, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So they met on the first day of the week. Paul gives instructions in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, you are also to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put aside something and store it up, that he may prosper, that there may be no collecting when I come. On the first day of the week, when you gather together as a church, take an offering. On the first day of the week, when you gather together, there's preaching, there's worship. And then John, the last of the apostles, when he's on the penal colony of Patmos, the island of Patmos where he receives the revelation that we get the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.10 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. The Lord's day. So because the resurrection happened on a Sunday, Jesus appeared to his disciples the next Sunday. Pentecost was on a Sunday. The early church worshipped on Sunday. And John the Apostle was worshipping on the Sunday. There's no other day to worship for us as Christians than on the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, the world calls this Sunday. It's just a Sunday to the world. But what do we Christians call it? It's Sunday, but really we should call it the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. We come here for Lord's Day worship. It's the Lord's Day. Now, every day is the Lord's Day, 
But Sunday is specifically set aside for being the Lord's Day where we gather for worship because that's the day He rose from the tomb. And so the first thing that we see here is that there's the importance of the Lord's Day. Sunday is now the day of worship because the empty tomb on Sunday morning. The importance of the Lord's Day, Sunday. Now, let's look at the second truth that we see. The second historical reality or truth. Not just the importance of the Lord's day, but number two, the importance of the Lord's name. When the ladies come to the tomb, they find that the stone was rolled away. Now, how did the stone get rolled away? Well, you can say, well, God sovereignly did it, but how did God sovereignly do it? Matthew tells us in Matthew 28, 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake... For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And that's miraculous. An earthquake that God orchestrates with an angel coming and rolling back the stone. So that's how the stone gets open. Miraculously, God does it. But I want you to notice a detail. And it's a detail that maybe you just skipped over, but it's, it's kind of unique to Luke. It doesn't show up a lot in Luke's writings. A few times, but notice what it says there. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the, did you catch it? Lord Jesus. The body of the Lord Jesus. Because he's resurrected, he is now the Lord. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, the ultimate, absolute Lord. He has victory over death as Lord. This is what Peter preached at Pentecost. In Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He's Lord and Christ. And here's the problem in our culture today. A lot of people like the idea of Jesus being their Savior. Hey, I like the get out of hell free card. I like the, 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 the forgiveness of sins. I like Jesus as my Savior. That's awesome. But they don't like the Lord part. Lord means that Jesus is sovereign over your life. It means Jesus tells you how you live. It means Jesus dictates the rules for your life. It means that you must submit yourself to his lordship, and it's not optional. Some people will say, well, you can kind of take Jesus as Savior now, but then later on down the road, take him as Lord when you get more serious. No, you can't divide up his offices. He is both Savior and Lord. You can't have a half Christ. That's what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said, The Lord will not save those whom He cannot command. He will not divide His offices. You cannot believe in a half Christ. We take Him for what He is, the anointed Savior and Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the question. Is the Lordship of Christ optional? No. He is Lord. Whether Whether you like it or not, whether you make Him Lord or not, He's the absolute Lord. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. And notice Luke says, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He has sovereign rights over our lives. He's in control. He's in charge. We are not. He is the Lord. So there's the importance of the Lord's day, Sunday. There's the importance of the Lord's name. He's the Lord, the name above all names. Philippians 2, 9-11, this is how we open up our worship service. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
The importance of the Lord's day, Sunday. The importance of the Lord's name, He is the Lord. But here's the third truth. And maybe you didn't catch this. This is, this is interesting material that, that we need to really cover. The importance of the Lord's word. The importance of the Lord's word. Now, let's look at this. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, the empty tomb, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were perplexed. They were at a loss for words. They were anxiously looking at the empty tomb. Maybe even fearful. Where, where, where's the body of Jesus? What's going on here? And they even get more fearful when two angels in dazzling apparel show up to them. And so they're gazing at the empty tomb. And they're perplexed. And not only are they perplexed, but they're kind of forgetful. So the angels question these women with a soft rebuke. Notice what the angels say to these women. Verse 5. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why, and this is a question to these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, original language here. Why do you seek the living one? Why are you looking for the living Lord? He's not here. What does the angel, what do the two angels say? He has risen. He's not here. He has risen. Now, it's very important how Luke structures the grammar there. He has risen. In the original language, it's what we call a divine passive verb, meaning God's the one that does the action. God raised Jesus from the dead. He is risen sovereignly, powerfully by God. God's the one that rose him from the grave in mighty power. But notice what the angels say. Notice what the angels say in verse 6. Remember how he told you. Remember. Remember what he told you when you were in Galilee. Now, what did Jesus tell them? On three occasions, Jesus already told them. And so the angels are saying, ladies, women, remember what Jesus told you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he had told them the first time. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, he told them the second time. And then in chapter 18, he told them the third time. So three times, Jesus had told them what was going to happen. In Luke 18, 31 through 34, this was the third time. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. He told them, and the women were part of that traveling group of disciples, told them on three occasions. And so look at that. Verse 6. He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of simple men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. In verse 8, they remembered his words. Now here's the point. While the empty tomb is powerful proof of the resurrection, it's still not enough. The empty tomb needed explained and proclaimed. An empty tomb by itself, they didn't have the answer. Someone had to explain to them or remind them of the words of Jesus. The women did not come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead by looking at the empty tomb. They were perplexed. 
It wasn't until the angels came and said, remember the words of Jesus that he had already told you. So they needed to be reminded of the words. So here's the point. Yes, the empty tomb is historical. It's verifiable. It is proof that Jesus rose from the dead. But it's not enough just by itself. And you see that the early church didn't just say, hey, go back to Jerusalem and look at the empty tomb. No, they proclaimed it. They explained it. Faith comes by hearing. Acts 2, 23-24. Peter at Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter preaches the resurrection. If you go all the way through the book of Acts, they are always preaching the resurrection. They're explaining the resurrection. They're giving proof, not just that there's an empty tomb, but they're preaching it. They're explaining it. They're declaring it. Listen to what Paul says about preaching. Romans 10, 13-17. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how will they call on Him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing in hearing through the word of Christ. These ladies had to hear the word of Christ so that they could put faith in Jesus and in his resurrection. The empty tomb is important, it's powerful, but there needs to be the preaching of the empty tomb to the ears so that they can truly have faith. And this is what Paul tells us we should preach. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-7, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, so what did Paul preach to them? Here's what Paul preached. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. The empty tomb is important, but by itself, these women didn't know what was going on until it was explained to them, until they were told to remember twice. Jesus says, remember. The angel says, remember what Jesus said, and then it says, they remembered. Now, we would not openly admit that we forget about the resurrection. Anybody here forget about the resurrection? You're not going to openly admit that. But how often do we forget about the gospel message? That's why it's important that each Lord's Day, Sunday, when you come here on in a worship service, that you and I are reminded every Sunday of the gospel. Because Paul says it's of first importance. It should never get old for you to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If that gets old, if that gets stale, there's something wrong with your heart. Because I want you to do this for me. Okay, so kids, if your kids are youth in here, do, me, do, 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 do this for me. Go do a search in the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, how many times the word remember shows up. 
Remember, remember. Why does God say it? I don't know how how many off the top of my head. Probably a thousand or something. Why does God tell us to remember? Because what? We forget. Our hearts get cold. Our hearts get complacent. And and we just kind of coast through the Christian life and think that I'm good. God's good. But we don't remember the words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you believe the word the way these women did? Do you believe that Jesus suffered at the hands of sinful men, was buried, and then rose again? This is the gospel. This is the first importance. You must believe it. Yes, there's an empty tomb, but you also have to hear the word preached and believe it. Now, interestingly, when the women hear the gospel message from the angels who tell them to remember what Jesus said, what do the women do? Do they sit there and twiddle their thumbs and say, this is awesome? No, what do they do? Look at verse 8. They remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. They told. This word means they declared, they announced. They were not silent. Here's the beauty of these women. They're the first evangelists post-resurrection. They're the first ones to share about the empty tomb. Remember what I said last week about the women? The women got to experience the big three. Nobody else in the Bible got to experience the big three but these women. What's the big three? They saw the death of Jesus, they saw the burial of Jesus, and they saw the resurrection of Jesus. Nobody else got to do that. And here you have women that were not really respected in that culture didn't want to be, didn't have a lot of the rights. In God's economy, he gives the women the first responsibility to go share the gospel to the disciples. So they went and they told. What a privilege it is to tell. And these women had this wonderful privilege to go tell the 11 apostles the empty tomb. Now, how do the apostles respond? Not too good. Look at verse 11. What does it say? These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. An idle tale. Now, I don't know what your translation says. Let me tell you, what that's a medical term. It was used in that culture of a person who's so sick that they're experiencing delirium. They're delirious. It's almost like, let, let 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 me give you like a modern day example, okay? This may date me a little bit, but it's like the disciples looked at each other and said, these women are whack. These women are crazy. These women have no idea what they're talking about. They're, they're fairy tales. They're, they're making no sense. Now, when I was growing up in the 80s, there was a great TV show we used to call called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Anybody watch Ripley's Believe It or Not? Some amazing things. Well, now there's no TV show, but they have a website, and they have attractions around the country where you can go to the Ripley's Believe It or Not little museums. But let me give you some examples of some things that are just hard to believe. So Ray Matthews is a man in England. He broke the world record by running, listen to this, 75 marathons in 75 days. And guess what? He's 75 years old. And he wanted to raise 75,000 pounds for a playground for a special needs school. Any 75-year-old here wanted to run 75 marathons in 75 days? Some of you are like shaking your heads like, no. Here's another weird example. Some of you guitar players might like this. There's a guy named Mark Joffney. He was born without arms, and he learned how to play guitar at an early age with his feet. So he strums with his left foot and plays chords on his right foot. And his band, guess what his band is called? 
big toe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's kind of weird to believe. And then there's this guy named Ansar Ahmad. He's a barber from India, and I never saw this all the, all the years I went to India. He, he holds scissors in one hand and a comb in the other, but he places the handles of the scissors in his mouth. Anybody want to have your stylist cut their hair with mountain? No, okay. Those are some things that are hard to believe. Ripley's believe it or not. And let's just be real honest. It would have been very hard for these women to believe. And it would be very hard for the disciples to believe. Are you telling me that, that Jesus is no longer there? There's an empty tomb? L- ladies, this is like Ripley's believe it or not. I don't believe it. It's unbelievable. Now, this could describe you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a good person. But I don't really buy the fact that there's an empty tomb. I don't buy the empty tomb. You know, the resurrection has been under attack ever since that first day. There are three major attacks or theories to try to disprove the resurrection Here's the number one theory, the falsehood theory. Okay, get this one. This is what some people believe. The disciples snuck past the Roman soldiers. They rolled the stone away. They went in and stole Jesus' body, and then they went around telling everyone that he had risen. Now, not only would the Roman soldiers probably lose their jobs, some of them might have gotten killed if they let that stone get rolled away but here's the question why would the disciples die for a lie they just made it up the falsehood theory they're just making it up why would you die for that peter was crucified upside down paul was beheaded james the brother of john was beheaded philip was beaten to death james the leader of the church in jerusalem was beaten to death with a bat andrew the brother of peter was crucified mark was dragged to death jude was crucified thomas was killed by being speared to death and luke was hanged on an olive tree All that for just something you made up. So that's the falsehood, number one. The disciples just kind of made it up. Okay, I I mentioned this last week. Here's number two, the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. The cat of nine tails didn't really rip his back. Nails in his hands and feet, crown of thorns, the spear in his side. He just kind of fainted. And after he came to in the tomb, he rolled the stone away and walked back to Jerusalem on nail-pierced hands and all that stuff that happened to him. He just kind of, he fainted for a while, didn't really die. And remember what I said last week about that. My dad has a good Greek word for that. It's called baloney. Number three attack is the vision or delusion theory. This is just the whole idea that the disciples were so excited and hoped that Jesus would re- return, would rise again, that they hallucinated the whole thing. It was just a hallucination. It was a big dream. It was a vision. And then they circulated the story uh, to get a lot of people to believe them. Now, we know that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Here's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Okay, there is an empty tomb. Okay, you can go to Saudi Arabia today, to the city of Medina, If you go to the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia today, you can see a mosque, and guess where you can see whose tomb you can see at that mosque? Muhammad's tomb. You can go into areas in Thailand, in the southeast part of our world, and you can find the remains of Siddhartha Gautama, who's the founder of Buddhism. There's relics of his remains all around the Far East. You can go to China and find the grave of Confucius, the great philosopher. You you can go to all these world religions and you can find their leader's grave where they're buried. 
You can't do that with Jesus. The tomb is empty. He rose again, and he is the Lord of lords. Now, in verse 12, Peter wants to go see with his own eyes, because that's Peter, right? What does Peter do? He runs. He runs to the tomb. So verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, I like the way Luke leaves us hanging here. Did Peter have faith? Or was he like this woman? He needed Jesus to show up and explain it. It just says he, he marveled. We're kind of left hanging. So these are three historical realities related to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The importance of the Lord's day, Sunday, the importance of the Lord's name, He is the Lord, and the importance of the Lord's word. It needed to be preached. But now, that's the historical reality. Let's, let's make this more personal. What are the heartfelt responses you and I should have to the empty tomb? What should the resurrection produce within us? How, how do you leave here today impacted by the empty tomb? Well, let's look at three heartfelt responses. First, be secure that you're no longer guilty of your sins. Be secure in that. Listen to Romans 8, 31-34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I like the way Paul says that. Jesus died, but notice he says more than that. More than that, he's raised. And because Jesus rose again, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. God is for you, not against you. And no charge can come against you that's going to stick. If Satan comes and tries to accuse you, or your conscience accuses you, or or you think somehow that you're unworthy of God's love, those those charges are not going to stick because Jesus rose from the dead so you can be secure that your sins are forgiven. The resurrection should give you great security to know that Jesus died and rose again and you're no longer in your sins. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer condemned. No charge can come against you. God is for you. And that should give you great security. Okay, second thing, second heartfelt response. Be assured that you don't have an empty faith. Be assured that we don't have an empty faith. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile if Jesus had not risen from the dead. Now, what do these words mean? Your faith is in vain. Well, your faith being in vain means it produces no results. It comes up empty-handed. It has no effect. It, It produces no results. The word futile means useless, worthless, empty. You see, if Jesus had not raised from the dead, we would be kind of useless, pitiful. Our faith would mean nothing. It would have no meaning. But because Jesus rose from the dead, you have a living 
full, guaranteed faith. Not an empty faith, not a useless faith, but a lively faith. You have a Savior who's risen from the dead, and your faith is alive. Your faith is real. It's not some pie-in-the-sky thing. It is a real, literal, bona fide faith, not an empty faith, not a faith that comes up empty-handed. So you can be assured that you don't have an empty faith. And here's the third. Be hopeful that you've been born again by sovereign grace. Be hopeful that you've been born again by sovereign grace. Listen to what Peter says about the resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if you looked at those words, you said, Pastor Sean, all those words mean the same thing, and you're right. Be secure, be assured, be hopeful. They're all synonyms for the same thing. What I'm trying to say is that the resurrection should give you great security. It should give you great assurance. It should give you great hope. It should give you great solid foundation in your life that you have peace with God, that your sins have been forgiven, that you have a a lively, real faith, and that you've been born again, and that you have a living hope. You know, there's one passage of Scripture that sums up this hope, this assurance, this security we have in the Lord, and it's related to the resurrection. So listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 18-20. Having the eye, this is a prayer that Paul prays, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. He wants us to know the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of power? Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Okay, what is that great power? What is that immeasurable greatness? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Have you thought about that? The immeasurable greatness. Now, here's the point. Can you measure God's power? Can you? No, you can't. Can you get out a ruler and measure it? Can you get out a weight and measure it? You can't measure God's power. It's the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And Paul here says that power that raised Jesus from the dead gives us a great hope. A great hope. So, have your eyes been opened to the hope that we have? Do you have the security that you're no longer guilty for your sins? Are you living in that security? Do you have the assurance that you have a living faith, not an empty faith, not a dead faith, not a futile faith? Do you have the assurance and do you have the hope that you've been born again to sovereign grace by God? Notice how Peter left the tomb. Go back and look at verse 12. How did Peter leave the tomb? Now again, we're kind of left hanging here. There's kind of a cliffhanger. We really don't know all the details. It just kind of says, he went home marveling at what had happened. He went home marveling. It was an astonishment. It was an amazement. It was like taken aback. And the way Luke writes this and constructs this, it was a continual marveling. It wasn't like Peter looked and he got over it. It was like he went home and it was like on his mind, on his thoughts. It was, it was constant. It was, he was constantly marveling. He was constantly wondering. It, it consumed him. It was a constant state of amazement. And so here's my question. Does that describe you at the empty tomb? 
would you leave this place marveling in wonder, in awe, in security, in hope, in assurance that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and that he's alive. And he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and he's coming back. So what I'd like for us to do this morning is be like Peter. Let's marvel. Let's wonder. Let's be astonished at the empty tomb. And let's leave this place with joy and hope because God raised Jesus from the dead and that power is available to us and it gives us great hope to face whatever we may face this week. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And would you just spend a few moments praising, marveling, astonishing, whatever words you want to use, praising Jesus for his resurrection and ask him to give you that hope, that assurance, that confidence, that security that only he can give because of the empty tomb. It's really hard for us to think about the immeasurable greatness of your power something we can't even think about. We can't even begin to measure it. The power that you exerted when you raised Jesus from the grave. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And Jesus, thank you that you rose again, that you're in heaven today as the living one, as the Lord, as the resurrected Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And because you are alive and in heaven, we can have hope, a living hope. We can have the assurance that our sins are forgiven. We can live in the security to know that we are yours and you will never let us go. Lord, Lord, there are so many people, so many Christians, I think, that are living in anxiety, living in uncertainty. They're wondering if they've done enough or they're wondering if they're good enough and they're, they're, they're living on eggshells because they, they don't have the confidence, the assurance to know that their sins are forgiven and there's an empty tomb. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would walk out of this place hearing the word of the Lord that our sins are forgiven, there's an empty tomb, and we can have hope for whatever we face. Lord, there may be some in this room that are facing something that seems hopeless, a financial situation, a relational situation, maybe something at work, Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a, a marriage difficulty. Maybe it's a health problem. Lord, whatever it is, Jesus, because you're alive and we have a living faith, not an empty faith, we can have the hope to know that you will get us through and you will sustain us and you'll be there for us. So, Lord, give us hope today. Let us walk out of this place confident, not in ourselves, but confident in you as the risen Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We submit to you, Jesus, as our Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.